or at This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Do you have joy in your heart? I'm not talking about what you want to have. I'm talking about what you do have. Do you have joy in your heart? Do you have joy just today or just at this moment? Or did you have joy yesterday? Will you have joy tomorrow? And what's the difference between joy and happiness? In our Constitution, in our Declaration of Independence, actually, we find the pursuit of life and happiness and so on. Life, liberty, happiness. But is that really what God is after? Is he after our pursuit of happiness, or is he more interested in joy? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at that, along with many other things, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and quite frankly, today, even in just a few minutes, it might be transformative for someone listening today. First of all, we're going to talk about some habits that steal your joy. Habits that steal your joy. In fact, there are five of them. Five habits that steal your joy. And as we go through these in brief order, you might actually relate to some of these, one or more. In fact, these can be so devious, so great, so challenging so unnerving, so disruptive, so destructive, that in fact, not only will they steal your joy, they can steal your hope for the future. Even, dare I say it, your salvation. Now, I know that seems like a very strange thing to say, but when you realize as we go through some of these that One or more of these five habits or practices or attitudes actually kept 599,998 men plus women and children aged 21 and older out of the promised land, even though they were all taken out of Egypt by God's mighty arm through Moses. Are you ready for this? The Bible says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. First of all, do you want to be part of the kingdom of God? Are you part of the kingdom of God? It's just a rhetorical question laying out before us our conversation today on Viewpoint. Next, if the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, then why is it that so much of our focus is on meat and drink? But today on Viewpoint, in the second half of the program, we're going to take a look at some of the things that we eat, some of the things that we don't eat, 
our diet, the way we take care of this temple. We're going to take a look at some of those things, even though we realize that our joy is not in eating and drinking, but without the proper substance or sustenance for these temples, it may affect our peace, certainly our happiness, and maybe our joy as well. So, righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Is there anyone who does not want peace? Everybody wants peace, but we're living in a world of chaos. We're living in a world that is challenging our ability to even understand the nature of peace and experience it. And every one of us wants peace, don't we? So are you ready for this? Some habits that steal our joy. The first one is unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. Christina Patterson in the Fishnaville fishnashville.com website or whatever it is, sent out an email, and I received it, and I was very moved by it because she talks about these five habits that steal your joy. And she's absolutely right. She says, these attitudes, behaviors, and actions will stop you from being able to experience the joy of the Lord in your life. She said, we don't even always recognize that these are joy killers, but they are. And she says, we can find a lot of this revealed in the Apostle Paul's writings in the book of Philippians. So here we go. Are you ready? The first one is unresolved conflict. Our first joy killer is unresolved conflict. So let me ask you a question. Is there any unresolved conflict in your life? If there's anyone that you have not forgiven that has offended you, by definition, you have unresolved conflict in your life. My wife happens to think and be persuaded that unforgiveness is one of the most dire, sneaky uh, sins that is plaguing the church today. She sees it particularly among women. Unforgiveness. That reveals unresolved conflict. Conflict is going to come, but when we let it fester and turn into bitterness and prolonged anger and resentment, guess what? It prevents us from experiencing joy. And without joy, things deteriorate from there. The attitudes of our minds and our hearts deteriorate, and then it begins to affect our blood chemistry. Did you know that? The attitudes of our minds and our hearts, anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, believe it or not, science, medical science has proven that these affect our blood chemistry. And not for the better. So not only does it affect our joy in the overall spiritual sense, but it affects our joy of life in the physical sense, because our bodies begin to deteriorate contrary to where they would be if we were walking in resolution of conflict. Conflict's going to come. Everybody has issues of conflict. I've had more than my share, unfortunately. When you're a trial lawyer, you've had more than your share. 
when you have been a pastor, you have more than your share. And then, of course, having children and 11 grandchildren and so on, there's every opportunity for conflict everywhere. It's just that way. Just that way. There's another sound for conflict. (laughs) Conflict with regard to the radio program on live radio. Telephone sounds. How in the world did that come up? have no idea. Conflicts are going to come, friends. People can steal your money. They can waste your time. They can cause you discomfort, even pain. All that's going to pass away. Your life is but a vapor. But do not let them steal your joy. Okay? Four more to go. Hang in there. This is Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station, or anytime at saveus.org. Thank you for joining us here on Viewpoint Today. Today we're taking a look at how we can maintain joy in the Holy Spirit. Remember, we were told the kingdom of God does not consist of meat and drink, but of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. If it's righteousness, joy, and peace... And a major pastor tells me, which he did, at a pastor's conference over a cup of coffee, he hung his head and said, Chuck, I don't think I even know how to preach righteousness. Well, what does that say about the joy in his congregation? It says that he he has actually been depriving the people in his congregation who have been trusting him to tell them the truth about how to live righteously and godly in this wicked and woolly uh, world in which we live. And he says, I don't think I even know how to preach righteousness. Well, how did that come up? Let me share this with you. This was about 15 years ago, and uh, I was involved in a regular monthly early morning pastor's breakfast. And we all look forward to it. And as I was crossing America's birth river, the James River, on my way, I asked the Lord specifically, just a simple little question, why is it after all of these years of begging you for repentance and revival in our our nation and in our churches, why is it we've not experienced it? That was the question I asked the Lord. And he responded to me immediately. It was amazing. He said, it's because my pastors are not preaching righteousness. Hmm. So then as I was pondering that for a few moments, he said, and that's the reason why your country is in the mess you're in. 
So I'm pondering that for a few seconds. And then he says, and that's the reason why my church has no ability to do anything about it, because they're not walking in righteousness. So I get to the pastor's gathering, and uh, we're having coffee together before breakfast and so on. And I was sharing this little tete-a-tete that I had with the Lord crossing the James River. And I said, the Lord told me my pastors are not preaching righteousness, and that's the problem. That's when this pastor of a large, evangelical, so-called fundamentalist holiness congregation said, I don't think I even know how to preach righteousness. Yet the Bible says righteousness is the habitation of God's throne. The Bible also says that righteousness alone exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So you can't have a joyful nation. You can't have a joyful family. You can't have a joyful church. You can't have a joyful individual without righteousness. Maybe that's the reason why Jesus said, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. The problem is nobody wants to talk about righteousness. Would you venture to guess why? Because there's a sense in which we all know that we're not totally perfectly righteous. So we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to admit it because we say, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. He knows you're unrighteous, and that's the problem. (laughs) That's what's uh, keeping us from having the joy in our communication, our relationship with the Lord. This unrighteousness is clogging up the pipeline between us and God, and that we can't figure out why some people seem to be walking in great joy and we're not. Clean up the pipeline. Call in the spiritual rotor rooter. <laughs> Get a spiritual plumber out there. Well, that's what we're talking about here. You see, these metaphors can actually help us to get a grip with a little bit of humor, get a grip on things that are very serious in our lives. So we were talking about unresolved conflict. And if we will not forgive other people their trespasses against us, Jesus himself said, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. In other words unforgiveness can keep you out of the promised land. Because if you're not forgiven, then what? The whole idea of getting into the promised land is that you're walking in a state of being forgiven. Oh, we don't think about it that way, do we? That there's something, some participatory role that you and I have in order to persist in the joy of the Lord. And doesn't the Bible say the joy of the Lord is my strength? Yes, it says the joy of the Lord is my strength. But how do I have and persist and keep the joy of the Lord in my life? I have something to do with that. It's not just everything that God does with me or to me. It's what I do with him and in response to him. You see, it's a relationship. So the idea of sovereignty 
God's sovereignty is that he is the divine puppeteer that just jerks our strings around to make us do what he wants is not quite accurate. It's a distortion of God's sovereignty. His sovereignty has given us the ability to respond or not respond to his will. When we respond favorably to the quickening of his Holy Spirit, the conviction of his Holy Spirit, then joy is restored. Weeping might endure for a night because we're in pain because of our sin, because of our unrighteousness, but joy, you see, comes in the morning. That's what the psalmist said. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So, the other thing about this matter of forgiveness is the issue of bitterness. You probably are aware of the scripture that says that uh, do not allow a root of bitterness to dig deep into your life. Because if you do, not only will it affect you, but it's going to affect everybody around you. So not only is it going to steal your joy, it's going to steal the joy of everybody around you. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever walked into a room and everything seemed to be joyful until a single person walked in and began to let spill out all of their anger or their bitterness or their complaining or whatever it was? What happened to the room? What happened to the joy in the room? It dissipated, didn't it? It just dissipated. That's what bitterness does. And it does it very sneakily. Because it doesn't come in as a noise factor generally. It comes in quietly like an insidious virus invading your body. But it's deadly. How do we avoid letting bitterness come in and rancor both our lives and the lives of everybody around us? We forgive. We go to a person that's uh, offended us and we forgive. My wife and I have had so many opportunities to be profoundly bitter, even to this day. I don't want to go through all of the uh, situations that uh, uh, would have allowed us to be bitter, 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 bitter. But we could have been. I'll give you one illustration. A number of years ago, a Christian gentleman, renowned, very, very trusted businessman, and spiritual leader, founder, founding elder of five different churches, was referred to us to assist us with regard to managing some funds, personal funds, not ministry funds, personal funds, that God had put in our hands that was assisting us in being able to do the work that we were doing, that God had called us to do, without depending upon any man's money out there. In other words, without depending upon your donations or any salary out there for the, all the ministry work that we do, these funds were there. 
And so we met with him, and uh, he understood exactly what it was about. And we put these funds in his hands uh, to manage and to uh, take care of, and under certain promises that had been made. And for a while, it all seemed wonderful. Maybe a year or so, it all seemed wonderful. And then things started not looking quite right. And then we came to a place where, because we had moved and I left the practice of law at the height of my career, and we had a very major uh, income tax bill that was due because of capital gains and, and other things. And so I went to the gentleman and I said, in about 30 days, I'm going to need, and I gave him the figure about how much I was going to need from those funds. He said, no problem. Thank you for letting me know in advance. So we got to the point where I needed the funds for the income tax. And you don't mess around with Uncle Sam, you know. You pay or you will pay. (laughs) So he told me the funds were in my account. That they had been sent to my account, so I wrote the check to the IRS And then I received a notice. I didn't receive a notice from the IRS. I received a notice from the bank. The bank manager told me that that check had bounced non-sufficient funds. I said, you're kidding me. I was told the funds were actually in the account. So I went to the Christian gentleman, and I said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The bank tells me that the funds are not there. Where are they? You told me that they were there. Well, maybe they've been delayed. So I said, okay. So I told the banker, well, I'm told the funds that were supposed to have been there have been delayed somehow. Just hang on, please, hang on. And you know, that bank honored my check, even though the funds were not there. This is the miracle of God. The bank honored my check, and it was a significant piece of change, friends. Well, this went back and forth for 30 days, and the funds never showed up. So I made an appointment to go to the man's home to meet with he and his family, his wife, and so on, on a Sunday afternoon and begin to lay out the facts as I understood them And all of a sudden, it came clear. This man, a Christian, trusted Christian businessman, had not only betrayed me, but he had betrayed his wife, he had betrayed his family, and everybody else that he had had trusted in him. And every single report he had ever made concerning those funds was actually phony, made up, completely made up out of whole cloth. None of it was true. He'd used the funds. So now the question is, now what do we do? We've got this major check that's outstanding. Our reputation as Christians to conduct ourselves with integrity is on the line. We don't have the resources. Now what are we going to do? So, the banker was so kind 
He says, Chuck, I'm just going to have to require the funds now. 30 days later, he was so kind, and I was so grateful. But now we have to come up with funds, and we have to deal with anger, potential anger, bitterness, resentment, hatred, whatever you want to call it. Anything could arise in a situation like that. And we got back to our congregation, shared the story, and they were upset more than we were. And they took up the offense. And now we've got a problem not just for ourselves, but a whole congregation of people. Now what are we going to do? The joy of the whole congregation is on the line. Unresolved conflict. This is a big deal, friends. Now what are we going to do? When we get back, you'll find out. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Have you ever had a situation that occurred in your life that just hit you like a, a sucker punch? And uh, it, it, it threatened to completely overwhelm your life, your attitudes, uh, <laughs> your, your Christian grace, everything. It just threatened to override it all. Well, that's what happened to my wife and I. And we had to, we had to choose as to how to respond. We knew the great danger of responding in the flesh. Because if we respond in the flesh, the carnal nature, the natural way that people do, it would reap more corruption. So the first thing that we had to do is decide, we decided not to go to law against this guy. That's what we decided to do. But then... We didn't have to, in a sense, because the FBI came in and went after him and ultimately sent him uh, to prison for two years. But that we didn't do that. We didn't testify. We didn't go after him for a civil case. Wouldn't have done any good anyway, but we didn't do that because that would have affected our attitudes the next thing we decided to do was we have to forgive him. We have to forgive him. Now, we, we tried as best we could when we went to his home to lay it all out so that he would have an opportunity to repent and to ask forgiveness. It was 
I tell you, it was high drama at the OK Corral, friends. If you could have been a fly on the wall in his home on that Sunday afternoon, you would have been shocked and would have been the subject of a major movie. It would have ripped your heart out. The poor guy was so deep in his sin that he could not even repent. He was numbed out in his sin. His wife, lovely wife of many, 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 many years who had trusted and trusted and trusted him, a Christian lady, fell down on the floor in front of him, grabbed his hand and pulled him down on the floor to his knees and said, we must repent. He couldn't do it. So she stood in the gap as his other half and cried out to God for forgiveness. What a shaking experience. But now, not only were I and our congregation at stake and my wife is at stake and our whole family at stake and our whole ministry, everything that God had called us to do was at stake. Now his wife is at stake. Everybody's at stake. You see how bitterness works, how anger and resentment works, and the opportunity for it. The question is, what am I going to do about it? Because if I don't do something about it and deal with it the way God would have me to deal with it, it's just going to get ten times worse. It's going to multiply like an insidious virus. So finally, as our congregation, when they found out about this, were so broken up, and they became angry on our behalf. They took up our offense upon themselves and then became angry and bitter toward this man that had done this. And we thought, this is defiling everyone. What can we do? And my wife had a wonderful idea. It was a God-given idea. She says, I'm going to go and get this huge basket and we're going to come before the, our, our congregation and we're going to share with them that we're forgiving them and we want to make a special gift to his wife because she was now in terrible turmoil. Her entire trust had been destroyed. Her whole marriage was destroyed. What can we do? So my wife brought that basket before our congregation and gave the congregation a week to bring and fill that basket with items of blessing for that woman and words of consolation to her. Do you know what happened as a result of that? That basket was taken to the woman. No fanfare. But it wasn't necessary because the transaction had already been completed as each person in the congregation had cooperated and joined together to fill that basket with blessing instead of blasphemous bitterness and cursing. And the spirit of that bitterness was totally lifted. Gone. And joy returned. Now, we still had to deal with the resonating consequences, the lack of finances, and for that we had to trust the Lord and have done that 
And that was 23 years ago. Joy. We have an opportunity, friends, to deal with unresolved conflict. But the better way is to deal with the conflict right up front rather than allow it to fester and go unresolved. And that's just one illustration. That's just one in 57 years of marriage. All right. The second thing that steals our joy is envy. Some people would call it jealousy. I'm not sure it's quite the same thing, but people use the words interchangeably. Envy. The Bible uses the word envy. It's a joy killer. Paul had to deal with this in the, you know, you remember that some were preaching Paul and some Cephas and some Apollos and some, and and Paul says, look, aren't we all about Jesus? Aren't we all about Christ? Why are we jealous of one another's ministries? Isn't the glory supposed to go to God? Where's the room for envy? Now, here's the problem. I want you to listen very carefully. You may think that envy is not that big a deal, but envy is what crucified Jesus. Did you know that? Even the crusty Roman governor Pontius Pilate saw that. He said he saw that it was but for envy that they brought him. Where was the envy? Oh, these supposedly sincere and upstanding religious leaders of the Jewish people thought that Jesus was going to steal their thunder, that he was going to take away their power, their perks, and their position, and then what are we going to do? So they conspired together to kill him. Oh, yes, they conceived some legal basis upon which to do it. But that wasn't the motivation. The primary motivation was envy. They had to get rid of this guy. Just, think about it, just like the Democrat Party wants to get rid of Donald Trump. Same reason. Now, I'm not analogizing between Donald Trump and Jesus. No, don't get me wrong. He's definitely not Jesus, and he's definitely not pure and holy and righteous like Jesus. Nothing like that. But that's the reason they want to get rid of him. Because it's about protecting power, perks, and position. Envy. Did you know that the Bible tells us that it was envy that caused every one of the apostles to experience rejection, persecution, and martyrdom? Envy. Including the apostle Paul, the Bible specifically says so. And did you know it was envy that caused Joseph to be sold by his brothers into Egypt? Oh, my dear friends, envy is the engine of Egypt. It is wicked, and it'll take you down, and it will steal your joy. Cannot walk in envy. 
cannot walk in envy, and you can't compare yourself with other people. Paul warned about that. Do not compare yourself with others. Just because they have this, that, or the other doesn't mean you should have. It's not about equity. You have the equality of walking in the joy of the Lord. Everybody doesn't have to have exactly the same thing. That's satanic envy. The whole motivation of the equity movement is wickedness. And that's why it's stirring up such and defiling our culture. It's about envy. The third thing that takes down our joy, steals our joy, is a complaining spirit. Oh, my goodness. You may think, well, I, you know, I don't have unresolved conflict. I don't have bitterness. I don't have uh, envy. Uh, oh, but how about complaining? Are you a murmurer? Are you a complainer? Are you a bellyacher? Are you looking on the half-full glass or the half-empty glass? Are you full of thanksgiving? Or are you full and gratitude? Or are you full of complaining? Here's what the Apostle Paul said about that. In Philippians, he said, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So, let's suppose then that we become recognized in our spheres for being a complainer. And we complain about this and we complain about that. Where's, where's your light? You have no light. Your complaining is just a spreading of a miserable darkness. How does God feel about that? Would you like to know? We'll be right back. It might affect your joy. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. What's the difference between happiness and joy? Have you thought about that? The difference between happiness and joy? 
As we get to the end of the program here today, we're going to take a little tour back to the beginning of the program and second-guess ourselves with regard to the matter of happiness and joy. But for now, we're going to continue on our journey to look at these five attitudes or habits that steal our joy. And we want joy. We used to sing a song, if you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Well, yes, that's the beginning if you really want joy. But, you know, a lot of people say they'll let Jesus come into their heart, but they don't really quite do so. And they keep their heart closed. And they keep certain compartments in their heart closed, like the complaining department or compartment. So when we complain, what we're actually doing is revealing that we're just like the rest of the world. Because you can't complain and be thankful or grateful at the same time, can you? So when the Apostle Paul says that in everything we should give thanks, where this is the will of God concerning us, it's one of the few places, the only place perhaps, the Bible specifically says this is the will of God concerning you, to give thanks. To continually give thanks. You say, well, how can I do that? I've got this thing going on, I've got that thing going on, I've got this going on, I've got this. You know what? You have no idea what yours truly is having going on, do you? All you know is what you hear on the air. You don't know the things that my wife and I have to deal with in our lives. You don't know the things that we have to deal with in the relationships with other people, do you? No. Because we all have to deal with those things. The question is not whether we have to deal with them. The question is how we deal with them. That's the point. And if we deal with them according to the flesh, we will reap corruption. And it will continue to corrupt and corrupt and corrupt until it destroys our lives, takes away our joy, and, in fact, may actually take away our health as well. And unfortunately today, because I have sensed that this is so important to talk about the joy, we're not going to get into all the other health stuff. We're just not going to have time to do that. That'll be for another day. But we're to do all things without grumbling and complaining. All right. Let's go back, take a little journey back to the children of Israel as they get out of Egypt. God takes them out of Egypt, the house of bondage, the iron furnace with a mighty hand. And they see miracles. They see the ten plagues that come upon the Egyptians. They see that the first ones come upon all of them, but then the last ones, the most serious ones, only come upon the Egyptians and not the children of Israel. They saw that. They witnessed the mighty hand of God. And then they also witnessed how the death angel passed over them because they engaged in the Passover lamb 
painted the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lintel of their houses, and their firstborn were saved, whereas the firstborn of all the Egyptians died. They saw it all. They heard the cries of the Egyptians. And then God led them out. And so they get to the shore of the Red Sea, and then they don't know what's going to happen because they don't know how to trust God, as most of us don't yet either, but we need to, because we're right on the shores of the Red Sea, friends. If you don't realize that you are on the shores of the sea in your life, and it's time to cross over, and the only way you're going to be able to cross over to get to the other side is to trust God. Because you're going to hear the thundering hoofs of Pharaoh's chariots coming after you. The governments of the world, including your own. And you're going to have to trust God. Please hear me. You're going to have to, we're all going to have to come to a place where we absolutely trust God. For deliverance. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our high tower. He is our shelter in the time of storm. He's our deliverer. He is our hope. He is our salvation. Not horses and chariots and swords and spears. So the children of Israel are there on the edge of the Red Sea, having been delivered from Pharaoh's, Pharaoh, a type of Satan, also a type of Antichrist, and now he's coming after them. He's changed his mind. He's coming after them. And the children of Israel are panic-stricken. They're on the edge of the Red Sea. They can't get over there. They don't know what to do. They feel they're trapped, and they start complaining. In fact, their complaining was horrible. It was so horrible that they were picking up stones to stone Moses, the very one who had been their deliverer. It's amazing what people will do when they complain. And the depths of their complaining is contagious. Have you noticed how complaining is contagious? It's like a virus. It's like bitterness. Hmm. So Moses cries out to God, now what? God says, why are you talking to me? You stretch out your arm over the Red Sea. So the Bible says, Moses stretched out his rod over the sea, but God divided the sea. The Bible doesn't say Moses divided the sea. God divided the sea. But Moses had on earth had to be the participant with God to do his will by faith to stretch it out and stop bellyaching and complaining. God said, I won't have it. You stretch out your rod and trust me. That's what happened. And we find the same thing happened with Gideon. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Same thing. Look, God wants us to be co-participants with him on the planet. 
He gave us dominion over the works of his hands on this planet, and you and I have to cooperate with that. And complaining and murmuring is not cooperation. It's commiseration, but not cooperation. They still didn't get the message, did they? So they get across the Red Sea, and they're on their way to the Promised Land, and they're in the wilderness, and they're bellyaching again. Where's my water? Where's my food? Where's this? Always complaining. Finally, God, as a father, got so upset with them. He said, I'm sorry, folk. You ain't coming in to my promised land. You're just not coming in. I cannot have complainers in my house. Because you're going to take away the joy of my house. Are you listening? Are you a complainer? Are you known for your murmuring and complaining all the time? Always belly aching about something? It's a joy killer. And God says, I'm not going to have that in my house. So you know what he said? You're all going to die in the wilderness. I'm only going to let two men, two men out of 500,000, excuse me, out of 600,000 men that I took out of Egypt, I'm going to only allow two of them to enter my promised land, Joshua and Caleb. You know why? He said, because they have another spirit. What was that other spirit? Trusting God instead of complaining. That was the other spirit. And friends, if there's ever a time we need to understand these spiritual truths, it's right now, because if we're on the near edge of the second coming, and Jesus Christ is coming soon, and he's not going to come for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, and murmuring and complaining is some of those such things, we better get this right now, don't you think? So it's not just about joy on the temporary basis, it's about eternal joy. You think this will preach? I'm trying to apply these things in such a way that we can get it. Like a coach. More like a coach today. The fifth item that steals our joy is a big one. Pride. Mm-mm-mm. That's the fourth one, pride. God says he hates it. Pride will separate us from one another. It will separate us from God because we begin to think that we are God. Pseudo-God somehow. Pride. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but sometimes, uh, in fact, just the other day, I called a gentleman who God had used in my life 40 years ago in a very significant way. And I wanted to keep touch with him periodically out there in California. So I called him, and uh, 
was telling him about what we're doing now, 28 and a half years on the air and so on, behind a mic. I said, Don, we, 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 we don't have, you know, some mega congregation out there to point to. We don't have any of those things. And here's what he said. He said, Chuck, God wants to keep you humble. Well, that's the same message my wife gives me. You know, like you don't, you've got a face for radio, so to speak. So he puts you behind a mic where nobody can see you, and you speak, and you speak for the Lord, and you trust him to take care of the message. He's watching over his word to perform it, and the job is his. I don't have to put on any powder to present myself in a phony way for television. I just can be real. There's no pride in that. There's no pride in trying to figure out how many listeners there are or not, because that's not my job. My job is not to create listeners. My job is to present the truth in the most persuasive way possible, as faithfully as possible, and trust the Lord to do the rest. So what's your job? Where you are? Pride, friends, goes before a fall, before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And finally, anxiety. This is the fifth one that steals our joy. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, gratitude, let your requests be made known unto God. In other words, trust me, says God, and I'll give you the joy that you yearn for. I hope this has been helpful to you today. Never even got to joy versus happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances, friend. Joy is based on trusting God and doing His will notwithstanding the circumstances. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith, friends, to Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Call us. You're a blessing. Be a blessing, friends. Don't let anything steal your joy. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.